Hello, and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. Detroit, which is about uh, the 1967 Detroit riots, uh-huh. which I hadn't heard of before today. Had you? Um, no, actually. I heard of Watts, obviously. Um, you know, but, uh, um, yeah, kind of when you hear, I mean, I've heard of the riots in the 60s, but actually I hadn't had them associated with Detroit you know, specifically. But I did know of them. I know, I, I think I, you know, I might have read about them when I read Aretha Franklin's biography or something. I'm sure it's come up. Mm. I'm sure I knew there were riots in yeah. Detroit in the 60s. But when I think of, you know, the black riots in the 60s, I do think of others and not necessarily Detroit. Mm. Um, so it's, it's set during these riots. You see the riots kind of explode um, from um, a, a fairly simple start, which is basically cops... Um, interrupting a private party, which yeah. is sort of a speakeasy type thing going yeah, on in a black neighbourhood. Yeah, it's an after-hours party. Yeah. Um, one thing a leads to another. Of crowd, crowd gathers. A bottle gets thrown, and eventually, um, well, I say eventually, it's in the opening scene. Yes. Um, they, they start looting stores. Um, the army gets brought in, I think, on the second day, and then the the main, the bulk of the film takes place in this essentially hostage situation where these police um, kind of invade a hotel where some shots have been coming from mm. and they want to know who's, who, shot the, who shot the gun um, and, they, and it becomes this very disturbing, very tense um, situation where these cops who are out for blood and incredibly violent. You've seen one of them murder someone in cold blood already. Yes. Um, have all these black people uh, with their hands up against the wall, and they're taking them into various rooms, threatening them, trying to get information. It's kind of an interrogation, but it's it's, it's not that honest. Yeah, you know, it's very vicious. The film is really is really timely, right? You know, it's. I mean, the whole of the last year has been full of like police brutality against black people in the United States. Not but just the last year. I mean, it's been going on for a while. It's been going on for a while. I can't remember who said it. Um, someone said in a talk show a little while ago that um, police violence against black people isn't happening more often. It's just being filmed. Ah, that's an interesting... Mobile phone cameras. Yes. I would have expected it myself to have uh, increased uh, um, during Obama's tenure. Well, I mean, I don't know that he was making a statistical statement when he said that, but yeah. the point is that it's getting seen more. That's the yeah, main point. Yeah, it's getting seen more, uh, and it's never gone away. And I think the film dramatizes it beautifully. It dramatizes, you know, that sense of power that the cops have, and also, you know, the arrogance that they have with that power. And then, you know, that kind of fear mixed with a kind of hatred that people experience at the sight of their powerlessness or during the experience of their powerlessness, right? Those corridor sequences, I think, were, were full of that, right? Mm. On, you know, on the one hand, freaking out because you know they might kill you, you know, and on the other hand, hating them for it, and on the other hand, having to be respectful. All of that kind of happening uh, simultaneously. Yeah. I, thought, uh, I thought the film was great uh, at doing that. And actually, I think, I think the two... So, so the film is really structured around 
well, I see it as two protagonists. I think three. Three. Well, yes. three, possibly four. There's, so um, you've got John Boyega, uh, who plays this security guard. Yes. He's one, and he's kind of he's kind of with the police, almost, with the police and the National Guard and the, uh, uh, the Army, um, the Army Army National Guard. Um, like, he's not one of the guys who's, who's no, being up against I the wall. I see his role m- m- more complexly. So, basically... You oh, know, well, I'll just... I'll, well, okay, go on. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the black guy who's trying to save the, the other black guys who are under terrible police threat by, you know, A, being witness and B, being appeasing and being like a voice of reason in a very emotional, volatile, violent situation. Yeah. He's called an Uncle Tom very early on yes. by one character and that's a very simplistic way of looking at his character but it gives you the Yeah, the, so he's the, the Uncle Tom who saves that man's life. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, so that's his role. On the other hand, you have Will Poulter who is, you know, the nasty, arrogant... Uh, uh, um, white cop who basically feels he's got a right to do anything he wants uh, and he's very arrogant with he's he's really quite extraordinary I think he's or his look visually he's evil he's got these eyebrows that kind of arch up like uh, like the horns he's fantastic well, I mean the courtroom sequences where you get to see that mixture of arrogance and violence and threat all without a word being said. Mm. You know, he's br- he's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, so those are the main two. Those are the two that you're thinking of as a protagonist. Yeah, the most I think the film posits them as antithetical. You know, one, one is almost the antithesis of the other, right? You know, because the the John Boyega character is, is playing by the rules, really, at all times. Partly because he's forced to, partly because he wants to rescue a situation. The other one who wears a badge is making up his own rules, Right, you know, in his own interests all the time. So it's kind of like a very interesting kind of structural kind of opposition that there has going on there. And the other two, which could be called protagonists, is is the vet, yeah, the veteran, and the singer. I actually wasn't going to say the veteran. I was going to say the singer and the singer's friend. And but, no, no. but it becomes an ensemble piece once you get past those first two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are there are other people caught up in this. So there's this singer in a band. Yes. Um, his friend, who is who is one of the band members' brothers, I think, who's with him. You got these two white girls who are in the hotel. Yes. Who are hanging out with um, uh, the veteran. Yeah. The veteran's played by the veterans. Are one of the only ones that you might recognize, Anthony Mackie. That's yeah. Him. Um, yeah. Who's also very good. Yeah, he is. Um, so, and actually, I thought the film treated the sexual politics. So, so basically what happens is, you know, there are these two girls from Ohio, and it's 1967, they say. So, you know, they're partying with these black guys in this motel. They just, you know, presumably stopped for the night. But, you know, they're, they're with the other guys, and there's food happening, and maybe who knows what else. And certainly, the situation uh, uh, is quite sexual before the police intervene, right? And then from then on, the film treats the whole sexual taboo of, you know, uh, uh, of white women with black women. Black men. uh, But with black men, really, in a really interesting fashion. I mean, that kind of gives rise to all kinds of threat. And it really reminded me of, um, you know, kind of, uh, 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 I think Grimas, there was was an article called... uh, uh, the political no, 
the political unconscious of, race, of, of American cinema and the political unconscious of American cinema was meant to be race. And the, uh, the author, whose name I now forget, who did that analysis, did this quadrangle, and he says it all arises from slavery. And so basically, you know, a, a, a white man has sexual access to everyone. So, you know, to black men and to white women and to black women. A white woman, you know, has access, sexual access to everyone uh, 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 that she wants, uh, 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 except the white man who has more power. So she needs consent from the white man, mm. you know. And, you know, the, 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 the black women have to be sexually available to everyone. Anyway, and then the, the same article puts these kinds of taboos. And the biggest taboo is white women <laughs> with black men, right? Yeah. And so kind of the film plays on, on all of that, you know, how the mere sight of a black man and a white woman, you know, how that affects the police's view of the women, of the men, right? It leads to more violence for the men. It leads to the women being treated you know, terribly... Well, they're believed to, believe to be hookers. Yes. And Anthony Mackie's supposed to be their pimp. That's and right. of course, he's denying it. He's saying, no, I'm a veteran. I've just come back from the war. Yeah. And when he shows them his card, their response is, that's a fake. Yeah. It takes them a long time to eventually come around to the idea that he might be telling the truth about that. Yeah, but I think the, the film is more damning than that because you realise, oh, yeah. you know, that it doesn't in America, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a vet... Uh, on two tours of duty, if you've been, you know, serving the U.S. Army for eight years, you know, if you're black, it doesn't matter at all if you're confronted with a white cop who wants to do something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Weirdly, it reminds me, to quite a large extent, of Dunkirk, in that it, it, the central portion of the film is is this. It's it's well, it's based on real events. One thing, it's based on a real situation, um, and it combines a number of characters in the same situation and and kind of puts them in this pressure cooker. And at one point, you really feel that the objective is just to survive. Yes. Like, rather like Dunkirk, except that the, the, the threat in Dunkirk is is more uh, sort of, not, not ambiguous, but it's, it's, it's over the hill, you know. Um, whereas this is, the guy is right there. Yeah. Um, and it's, in, it's... And also the threat in Dunkirk is shared, whereas here it's divided. You know, like... The cops have the power, and then, you know, the rest, there are gradations. I think yeah. Catherine Bigelow is such a great director because she commu- she conveys that so well. So, for example, you know, I mean, there are gradations within the cops, right? There's uh, the Will Poulter character who's very nasty. Then there's another one, you know, who who knows the rules, yeah, who kind of yeah. is seedy enough, you know, to to bend. You know, and then there's the other one who's totally clueless, right? Well, I think the, other, the, the second one is just as bad really but he's doing what he's told yeah. um, he doesn't have the kind of leadership skills that Will Poulter does put it that well, way well I see it as kind of slight gradations because you get the feeling at the end of the film that he confessed actually you know that he was the one who confessed rather than yes. you know so um, but then you also have other gradations so you have what were they called the, guys, the guy in the other uniform who witnesses and says the guard the national guard national guard well you get the thing there's actually I, I, I don't know about the real life events, but you do get the feeling from this film that no matter what happens in Catherine Bigelow's eyes, the army is unimpeachable. You get the feeling that they can't do anything wrong as far as she's concerned. Well, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure about that, but in this film at least, you have the police, you have gradations amongst the police, you know, then you have the difference between the police and the National Guard, you know, you have like the difference between. Uh, uh, 
you know, when they're at the party and the guy uh, draws the, the fake gun and starts shooting. I mean, you know, that's a very, very tense scene. And you think this guy's an asshole. He's a dick, really. Like, you know, so actually it kind of it makes kind of, I don't know, each of the characters seems to have almost like different mm. uh, positions, really. You know, so, so I just think in a way it's a great film. You know, or, or, or rather, Catherine Bigelow is such a great director that she can do this, really. You know, um, the film has not been a hit. Has it? No. No. This is where we go to the box office. Yes. First uh, four million dollar budget, and it's made half of that so far. Yeah. And actually, I, I think a, a film like this, you know, which is so good, not finding an audience at the moment is almost like further proof the that that well that that black lives really don't matter right that kind of you know the sense of black history in america is not seen to be important enough i mean you know had it been a similar situation mm. with white people you could imagine this being like the discussion film of the season really and this film really deserves to be that and somehow, especially in the last couple of weeks with all this stuff with about the um, Confederate statues and um, exactly, it's like the, the most apt, the, timely film, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, Trump supporting the Nazis. I mean, what more do you want? And the but I wonder how it's been advertised because like, I haven't got the sense that it, I think they could have turned this into a much bigger film than it might be. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like if you can't push a film like this right now, you should lose your job in marketing. Yes. Well. I don't know. Uh, um, well, there is two and a half hours long. Or, you know, it could be telling us something. It could be telling us that, you know, this is something that really kind of America doesn't want to confront at all. It yeah. doesn't want to touch it. It's too difficult. It's too complex. You know, they don't want to deal with it. Uh, and it's a shame because I think the film deals with it really beautifully and really complexly. You know? Yeah. Uh, I was, what, I was, what I was hesitating about earlier when you asked me what I thought of it was, was the final third of the film, essentially, because I... Um, I didn't anticipate well, I never do anticipate what's going to come next yes um, and I didn't expect the film to go into the consequences and the and the um, the aftermath of that night uh, in the detail that it does yeah I kind of thought it would maybe leave it there I thought maybe characters would die and stuff and, and but there'd be a kind of it would be left after that night but no the film goes into um, quite a lot of detail about there's there's an internal investigation in the police yes. as to whether these three cops um, murdered these guys. They try and pin um, they try and pin it on John Boyega's character. Yes. These, these murders because some characters do die. Um, some characters, some some of the I think two of the guys um, that are in that uh, in that hotel are murdered. Um, so they try and pin that on John Boyega's character. They investigate whether the white cops have done it. Um, there's a court case. There's a sleazy lawyer who comes in to try and get them off. Yes. And and then w- when it's doing that, I'm spending the whole time thinking, what are the consequences going to be? Because I had no idea. I didn't know what the story yeah, was. So I didn't know what the if, story was either. If this is a good film, these guys get away with it. If this is not a good film, then they don't get away with it and they get their comeuppance. <laughs> well, they could- <laughs> and I was really hoping that it would be a bad film because I really wanted them to get their shit handed to them. Yes, I did as well. Uh, and they do get away with it. Yeah. Um, that said, however, I still do think that that whole bit of the film doesn't work for me. You know, yes. it's, it's very well done, but actually I thought it was kind of unnecessary, right? 
like you know the film could have ended when they all came out of the motel and you could have had you could have slapped on some information you know and finished the film there really uh, yes I don't think he would have lost an awful lot unfortunately there aren't points like you said with um, with Will um, what's his name's character standing up in court and you and just the look of him in court is disgusting. It turns your stomach. Yeah. That's kind of valuable. In it, it is valuable. That. I mean, they're, they're, um, don't get me wrong. There are, yeah, the point is, that the end of the film, the final third of the film, does have its moments, but the it, it there's not enough in there to carry the rest of the film, really. Yeah. So I think it could have been shorter. Um, on the other hand, there are so many beautiful things about it, and so many, like, I don't know how to describe it, just clever things. You know, like the way that the film begins with those naive paintings, you know, that are like a history of migration to Detroit. I naive. love that. Yeah. Naive Na- paintings. Yes, that's what, you know, kind of... Oh, is that actually... A- it's a term that's used for, you know, paintings that aren't uh, uh, professional, that somebody who is untrained, you know, but nonetheless kind of often do very beautiful pictures. I beg your pardon. Didn't realise that was a phrase. Yeah. I thought you were saying native wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that whole opening sequence was fantastic. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, you know, I thought the scenes at the theatre with the singers, you know, was also, it kind of brought alive, you know, the energy and the dynamism of black culture at that moment, really. Um, I loved the soundtrack, and, and this might just... Uh, um, uh, you know, be me, but um, though I I loved when the Supremes were on stage. Uh, I actually thought that the songs of the Dramatics could have been better. Yeah. Uh, so and and I think the thing that I love the most, aside from you know about the film, is aside from Will Poulter's character, is is John Boyega, who I think is just fantastic, and I want to underline it because. You know, there were moments that he really reminded me of uh, um, Sidney Poitier. You know, he has the same kind of calmness and, and integrity, you know, and kind of moral groundedness, right? But at the same time, you can tell everything he's feeling, right? So, yeah. you know, he's doing some actions that are very calm and cool and minimal. And yet in his eyes, you see, you know, like the panic and the fear and the attempt to do good, you know, kind of all at the same time. I just think it's, a, it's an extraordinary performance really and one of the one of the reasons why i'm sorry that uh, um you know the film isn't doing very well is because you know i really do think that uh, polter and he really deserve recognition they're really kind of you know astounding performance they are they are really really good but there is something to be said was it samuel L. jackson who was saying a little while ago that he was pissed off with uh, british actors doing american roles yes um because will polter and john boyega both british yes uh, and they're doing not only are they doing American roles, but they're doing American roles of real people mm. in a real situation where they don't have that history, they don't share that kind of cultural baggage. Yes. They're not from that country. I think there's something to that. Um, I think there's something to that. I mean, I've discussed it with friends, and you know, I think there's a kind of idiotic patriotism, really, that that that, that my friends have. You know, because they never see a problem when it's British people doing other people. They always seem to have a problem when it's other people doing British people. <laughs> like, the accent's never good enough, or, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, but actually, I think there's a thing about lived knowledge and experience. And, you know, kind of the thing that actors bring to us is like this accumulation of detail of stuff that they learn and transmit. 
you know, and can and have a greater access to feeling and conveying, you know, and a lot of that is un unconscious things, yeah. you know. So I actually do think that it makes a difference. You know, I presume that the casting director and the and the director, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, checked the available American actors and and made a decision. But I do always think that. That's always it's not the first time as well, is it? Because David, uh, David Oyelowo, I believe, uh, yeah, David Oyelowo played um, Martin Luther King in Selma. Yes. And that was a, um, I don't remember if anyone made a fuss I mean, about that, but it's the same sort of thing. If someone tells you that a country with a population of 300 million people, you know, <laughs> cannot produce find the actor. an actor, you know, to play a, a role, I mean, I just don't <clears throat> believe it. I think it's kind of laziness, really. But, I, but let's put well, that aside. But having said that, there's also an element of when American actors play British, I think it happens not nearly as often as British players, British actors playing American. I think that happens far more. They're, they're really dominant. You see, what Americans bring to, uh, uh, you know, these, these British movies is box office. So, um, what's her name? Gwyneth, when Gwyneth Paltrow does Jane Austen, she gets the film made, really. Yeah, yeah. When, when these British actors perform in American films, like, all they have to bring with them is the performance, that's all. And, and actually, I just cannot believe that they can't get the same level of performance from an American actors in a country that large, you know, with as many uh, 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 acting schools and actors training and, you know, spread all over the country as America has. I think it's kind of laziness. Oh, yes, it's just, um... I think it's just producers go, you know, LA, London, New York, never bother to look elsewhere across America, you know, uh, and actually don't even do New York outside of Broadway probably very well. It's, 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 a, it's a problem. But it's not a problem for this film. British actors are better. That's just what it is. British actors are better at the oh, job. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I think that might be a good end. A good note to end. It, no, there are, there are, no, you're right. You're, you are right insofar as, while this is... A, it's something I noticed a lot mm. since that was first brought up to me. Just how many British actors mm. um, are in America playing American. And, and you go, this is just every single thing. There isn't a single film where this isn't happening. Yes. Um, to the point where it's really annoying me, hmm. um, but in this film it's really not a problem. They are excellent, and the and whether you know, other people could have done it just as well, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. In this film, they are excellent. They're excellent, and they make it. And actually, and I do think that Boyega, because you see, just to make um, I don't know a prediction or whatever, the thing about about Poulton is he's superb, right? And but the thing about Boyega is that he's superb. And he's got something else. Like, you know, I could see him becoming a big, big star, really, you know. Well, he is in he Star Wars. Parts. He is in the new Star Wars. Yes. So he's a big-ish star. He's kind of being turned into one, yes. as we speak. Yeah. Because um, he's the new, sort of, he's the new Luke Skywalker, really. Well, I hope he becomes one, actually. Uh, and I hope that, uh, that Polter gets an award or two during the award season. There is one other thing, which is... Um, that I wanted to bring up which is the opening of the film does something which Catherine Bigelow has annoyed me with before uh, the opening of the film is this uh, long animated sequence that we've spoken about the naive paintings hmm. um, which I've heard of and know everything about um, <laughs> uh, and, it, and it kind of tells a brief history of uh, black people in America um, up to uh, the 1960s where they're uh, moving to um, m was it moved north the great migration yes. moved north and 
end up kind of surrounded in these neighbourhoods and it all kind of starts boiling over. Yes. Um, but there's one point in it where, because it's done in subtitles, it's not narrated, uh, it's done in subtitles at the bottom of the film or, or uh, text over the, over the, over the images. Um, and at one point it says something like uh, African-Americans discovered that equal opportunity was an illusion. And then the whole sentence fades out, apart from was an illusion. That's, that remains on screen. Mm. And that annoys me. Because he did the same thing in The Hurt Locker where there's some quote and it says, blah, 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 blah. War is a drug. For war is a drug, it says. And then it all fades out apart from war is a drug. And you go, why did you need to keep that bit on screen? Can I not read? It, it, it's slightly, it has this element of not showing any faith in me as an intelligent observer to just get the point. I don't know what annoys me. Rather, actually, I think that might have something to do with the whole end of the film, where all of this stuff that happens in court and, and in the police station is dramatised, but it doesn't show you anything that, that you wouldn't expect. The whole sto- the, Everything that takes place towards the end of the story is very predictable, which is not to say that it shouldn't have happened or, should, or you know they should have changed it or something. Obviously, um, that's a story that should have been told, but there's no kind of point to dramatising it as we said, when you could get the same effect by writing it down. Yes. Um, and I think it has this element of not letting it go, it, it, having to explain to just that little bit, to just slightly more than is necessary. I think, I think that's true. I think she's, she's got a tendency to also um, make her films too long. I mean, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of Strange Days. Yeah, but e- even as I am... And I, and I do think it's kind, it's kind of a masterpiece, really. Um, but it also feels like it doesn't know when to end, right? It's got like, you know, it could have ended like in three different places, that film. So I think, you know, that might be an issue with her, her as a director. But what really annoys me about, you know, Catherine Bigelow is that she hasn't received the recognition that she has, that, you know, that she deserves. I mean... Well, she got Best Director. She got Best Director Oscar once... Uh, you know, she's she's made all of these movies that are real landmark movies that are almost all reinventions of particular genres, you know, so kind of near dark and blue steel, and then that fantastic surfer movie with um, Keanu Reeves. Point Break. Point Break, you know. I mean, kind of, it's an extraordinary body of work, really. Uh, and she's had very... Um, She's only occasionally had box office success and only relatively mild at that, right? The Hurt Locker would be an example. You know, and even that, I remember when, you know, when it came out, it was one of the lowest earning, you know, best picture movies ever or something. Obviously, I'm finding out how much yeah. it made. <laughs> um, uh, it made $50 million against a budget of $15 million. Yeah, so... So, made its money, but not a huge hit. Yeah. Uh, uh, so... It's it's you know she's she's had she has I think an interesting career to me as a real film artist really as somebody who's done all of this kind of extraordinary work and I'd like to be I'd like her to be talked about in as serious as a way as you know kind of at least somebody like Steven Soderbergh really mm. uh, and I think of all the films that we've seen or that I've seen this week really which includes you know Logan Lucky. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, um, what's American Made? Ugh. Made in America. American Made. American Made. I mean, this is like a completely different level oh, of is. filmmaking. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, it's uh, no, it's. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. It's unmissable. Yeah, it is. Okay, for all its flaws, and it has a few, but yeah. it's it's um, so unmissable and with some fantastic performances. Yeah, and really relevant, and, uh, and but you know, to me, she will always be Mrs. James Cameron. Fuck off, <laughs> <laughs> you you sexist pig. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good note to end on. 